Migration has always been a fact for Europe, and it will always be. Throughout centuries, it has defined our, our societies and shaped many of our lives. And this will always be the case. Migration is complex. The old system to deal with it in Europe no longer works. Your voice sounds weird today, Bruna. <laughs> Well, that wasn't me. That was European Union Commission President Ursula von der Leyen presenting the new pact on migration and asylum. As you can hear, migration has affected the European Union for centuries and will continue to do so. She calls on member states to find the balance between solidarity and responsibility. But yeah. what does this mean? Let's go a bit back and do a recap on the issue of migration, refugees and asylum seekers in the EU. Sofia, would you like to start? Of course. Um, so, as you said, I guess it's relevant to leave a little background story here for this uh, complex um, crisis. So, I guess we can trace the beginning of the EU refugee crisis to the start of the Arab Spring. So, the Arab Spring was a series of anti-government protests and um, armed rebellions in response to some countries' oppressive regimes and low standards of living. And these protests started in 2010 in uh, Tunisia, but then they expanded uh, into Libya, Algeria, Syria, Iraq. <laughs> so it spread to much of the Arab countries. Uh, yes, and quite quickly. Um, now we ask, how did all this brings us to the escalation of the refugees' arrivals in Greece, of course. And, um, I mean, to start with, um, it's easily observable that Greece is one of the main corridors of entrance into the EU for asylum seekers, um, along with other countries like Italy and Malta, of course. And it makes sense geographically, given that they are bordering the Mediterranean Sea and North Africa. Mm, those have been major corridors of interest from the population seeking asylum yeah. in the EU. But around 2015, the number of arrivals actually skyrocketed. Yeah, precisely. So, so overwhelmed with this uh, arrival of asylum seekers, the EU made that agreement with Turkey in 2016. Um, with Turkey because Turkey was serving as a transition country for entrance into the EU, mm. uh, meaning that many asylum seekers that had escaped from their countries were moving first to Turkey and then leaving from the refugee camps there towards the, the EU, um, in this case entering from uh, in Greece. So uh, what the EU tried to do with this grill was to prevent further immigration into, into Greece by banking a, meal, a deal with Turkey. <laughs> I said meal, right? Yeah, by, <laughs> by, by, making a meal with, by making a deal with Turkey. Yeah. And um, I guess this, this deal that uh, was basically that the EU would give money to Turkey to help them contain the number of refugees there, which at the time I believe it was almost 4 million, 3 point something. And this was aimed to help Turkey build more detention facilities and basically just to contain the refugees there and so that they wouldn't be sent to, to Europe. 
Also, the deal was that the EU was going to revise the possible entrance of mm. Turkey into the EU, which didn't happen. Yeah, but the deal worked for a short term, right? Uh, it really altered the flow of refugees from there to Greece. Yeah, it did in that sense. But um, as you know, this year we saw a new situation. And that situation was a lot of instability between Syria and Turkey mm. due to the Syria war and the role that Turkey plays on it. And because all of these uh, situations, many more refugees have entered Turkey and with no more substantial Western support forthcoming. On the other hand, the president of Turkey, President um, Erdogan, announced that Turkey would no longer abide by the refugee deal it had made with the EU back in 2016. And um, the reaction of Greece was basically to close its borders, so closing uh, also the frontiers of Europe. And it so happened that uh, Turkey lost its patience and released the asylum seekers, and those arrived in uh, Greece. Around March this year, right? Yeah, in March. And let's not forget that this was happening also at the time um, that Greece, as any other country worldwide, was struggling to adapt to the new pandemic reality. So much chaos uh, happened. Sure, yes, for sure. Uh, and many have for sure already heard about the situation in the Greek islands of Lesbos and how concerning it is. Uh, I think it shows how... Uh, the EU is having a lot of troubles, actually, uh, to solve this issue on migration and to continue to uphold the values of human rights that, as a regulatory power that it always yeah. has been um, and it has always championed, it is very sad and frustrating to read about the inhumane conditions in which the refugees live in Moria. Yeah. In, to, in 2018, The United Nations High Commission for Refugees uh, urged the Greek government to move the asylum seekers away from Lesbos, and they actually described the conditions in the camp as being at a boiling point. And at the time, there were 8,000 people living in Moria. And by this year, 2020, there were 13,000. Yeah, I mean... more. Yeah, it's impossible to have, obviously, the minimal good standards in such an overcrowded facility. And, uh, I mean, social distance <laughs> is obviously not at play here. No, of course not. And the sanitary conditions were even more exacerbated by the pandemic situation of this year. And it is uh, constantly putting the refugees at risk. Uh, even after all the challenges that they pass to flee from conflict in their countries, they still have to go through all these risks in the places they are supposed to uh, take them in and protect them. It also obviously creates tensions with the local communities since the segregation it creates takes a for uh, it's a forefront of this uh, integration. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Uh, also, uh, as of today, uh, as you might know, Moria no longer exists since it was destroyed in the fire in September. Uh, have you read about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I also saw in the news. Yeah, yeah. it's tragic. Yeah, following that, the 13,000 refugees that were in Lesbos were relocated to a new camp uh, called Karatepa, but it's still in the, isle mm -hmm. in the island of Lesbos. Uh, 
but the conditions didn't improve. There is obviously a lack of food, water, and toilet facilities, and people mm-hmm. even have to urinate in the sea and near the tents. Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Germany actually gave a step forward on that right away. And uh, it basically volunteered itself to take in child refugees from Moria. And uh, in general, it has been quite exemplar, I, I believe, from the beginning in what comes to taking in and integrating these people. Yeah, I also saw that. Uh, but this is just to refer that this is not a new phenomenon in the EU. Sure. Uh, this, this is a situation which is a consequence of both the inability of the member states to agree on a common uh, resolutions to the refugee yeah. crisis and also a sign of the conflictual interests between the first arrival countries and the countries uh-huh. of destination. Yeah, and uh, speaking of destination and first arrival countries, I also wanted to touch on another relevant point. Also, as you mentioned, migration and asylum policy, because the Universal Declaration of Human Rights actually states that it's the right of a person to leave any country, but it states no corresponding freedom to arrive and reside in every other country. So with this, I just mean that by simple math, we see that there's a chronically a relocation problem. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, also, um, there are the implications of these flows of refugees when I mean, it comes to EU's freedoms touch on the freedom of mobility. I mean, I wanted to refer here the role that Schengen plays in Europe and what this crisis represents to it. Because out of the 27 um, EU member states, uh, 27, 22, I mean, belong to, to Schengen area. And between Schengen countries, the passport controls, as we know, uh, have been abolished, mm-hmm. which obviously facilitates the free movement of persons really a lot. Yeah, it was great for the development of the EU's internal mm-hmm. market. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but yet, with this internal freedom of movement in Schengen, at the time of the implementation of Schengen, one of the conditions was the strengthening and the tightening of the external border controls of the EU. And that is that is because if a third country nationals would be able to enter, let's say, Spain, for instance, and those pop- basically with this system, those people could easily travel from then on between those 22 countries. And maybe some of the other 21 didn't want to provide third country nationals with that sort of mobility freedom, which is actually what happened. So this was the main reason why countries like Italy actually uh, were not invited at first to be part of the Schengen Club. Because uh, member states who already made part of Schengen considered at the time already Italy as not being able to secure its uh, external border due to the huge inflow of of refugees. Mm. So the EU-Turkey agreement was a solution, if we can call it that, that the EU found to save Schengen. Yeah, that's the point. So if Greeks could not contain the entrance of asylum seekers arriving from Turkey, 
other Schengen countries would want to unilaterally reintroduce border controls for their countries. And with that, the freedom of movement within the EU would be compromised. So, mm. Couldn't that then be uh, an externalization of the problem that the EU has? Um, and couldn't it contradict a bit and uh, consist of a small breach of human rights like you just mentioned? I mean... I don't want to go as far as calling it a breach of the human rights. So, mm. I mean, the intention was to preserve Schengen and one of the EU's freedom, the freedom of movement within uh, within countries of the, the EU, the members of Schengen. But that was done at the a cost, at the expense of closing the border to the outside Nini population, of imposing more strict controls. And also it's um, relevant to note that Turkey is playing a role in the Syria war. And let's not forget that, I mean, by externalizing the problem, saying, okay, let's, uh, Turkey, here's our um, funding to help you keep them there, basically. And I mean... If, if, if Turkey is not a safe country per se, uh, we cannot say with full and ambiguity that we are not indirectly um, harming those people. We are not providing a, a safe solution for them. Yeah, basically agreeing or making that agreement with Turkey to keep the refugees there, it no way guarantees that an improvement of the lives of the refugees. Yeah, I mean, these people have escaped from traumatic, violent uh, situations yeah. and we could give them a, a better opportunity, not only to mention, I mean, comparing to Turkey because it's uh, experienced uh, high volatility and instability due to all the issues it is dealing with, but we have actually like um, an obligation in a sense, towards them, because asylum is a fundamental right and granting it is an international obligation, which was actually first recognized in back in 1951 in the Geneva Convention on the Protection of Refugees. Mm. So asylum, it was stated that should be granted to people fleeing persecution or serious harm in their own country and therefore in need of international protection. Mm -hmm. So we are not discussing migration policy here, which is obviously inherent to member states' own will, but rather we are discussing is a common framework that was supposed to be agreed by all member states and was, and this is about asylum policy. Mm. Yeah, and going back to what you just said about Schengen, this intramobility that was created Uh, it was questioned since the beginning for some countries with security concerns. Yeah. Uh, uh, for those reasons, for instance, the UK and Ireland have opted out since the beginning. But with this increase in inflow of refugees to Europe, uh, the concern was actually inflated by countries that are members of Schengen. Uh, so the management of this free mobility zone has become a hot topic. And even more now with the pandemic, because it was visible, the lack of coordination with countries unilaterally closing yeah. borders and only some days after the EU proposing a common framework. 
Yes, yeah. And, and also focusing on the pandemic gave an opportunity to momentarily put aside the concern with refugees and asylum seekers. Yeah, I also observed that. And although the pandemic is obviously very difficult to mm -hmm. deal with, no doubt, yeah. it also served a bit as an excuse for many things, actually. For instance, um, I, I bet you also saw what happened in Hungary mm -hmm. uh, back in at the time that the, the, basically the prime minister of Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban, um, he used the coronavirus bill uh, passed by his his parliament to get himself the power to rule by decree with no end date. Mm -hmm. So a, a, a bit of a step towards autocracy, so to say. Um, but um, he, he, it so happens that he has also been the president of one of the national conservative parties of the country, uh, Fidens, uh, for several years. And this president has made clear that he is anti-Muslim migrants and we can see the connection here, right? And yet immigration in Hungary remains only a small fraction of what it is further west in Europe. It's one of the countries that strongly rejects um, the quotas system mm -hmm. of the EU. Mm. Yeah, there's for sure been a lot of politicizing of the issue of migration and refugees. And also it has been used to explain other problems like unemployment when the causal yeah. relation is actually not as evident as that yeah. from what scholars say and people who actually study migration they say that from a poorly macroeconomic point of view the impact mm -hmm. it actually appears moderate in the short term it increases public spending and over time it comes a slight rise in labor supply But the actual effects on the economy depend obviously on the size, the scope, and the composition of the people arriving, uh, also mm -hmm. the capacity of the host countries to integrate the people that arrive and that are granted yeah. protection, and also on the number of individuals who remain in the host countries and whether they are not granted protection after they first arrive there. Exactly. And I'm glad that you mentioned the economics of the issue now that it's, I guess, one of the most interesting parts when uh, studying this crisis, um, because actually what the statistics uh, tell us from um, migration and from asylum uh, policies that um, Europe's population is actually um, in decline increasingly and uh, even more for the next years. And according to some studies and estimates, um, given this decline in fertility in the EU, we can expect about a loss of 40 million people in terms of total population by 2050, which is nothing more, nothing less than compared to, to, the, side of, to the size of Poland's entire uh, population, mm. so that we can picture that more easily. And uh, this decline of the European population is expected to be only partially compensated by the projected migration trends that the EU has. So even though that we count migrants as an important contribution, we still observe a decline in EU population. And also this low fertility rate in the EU means what? Means an aging population. And an aging population means 
things like reduction in the workforce, mm -hmm. less young, less innovation, less competitiveness, increasing need for care services, health, pensions, among other issues that we can mention. Yes, uh, obviously the demographic trend in Europe, the double uh, phenomenon of less birds uh, and uh, increase in the expectancy of life. So we have less, yeah. less youth and more aging population will yeah. obviously need to be addressed with something if we want to keep a sustainable economic model. Um, yeah. And migration actually might help in, in this case, in yeah, economic I terms. Mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, we do need more people in a sense. And in this case, many asylum seekers, if we consider are relatively young, Uh, the vast majority are of working age, and that alters the age distribution in the in the European countries. That would alter. But another issue here is also the quality of the integration. That is something that you referred uh, a few minutes before in these countries, and um, not only socially in this integration, but also in terms of the working market yeah. uh, opportunities that are made available for them. Exactly. And uh, the thing is that there is not a common and binding integration framework among countries of the EU, because understandably the quality of the integration of refugees in each country, it, it has been argued to be strongly dependent on that country's unique characteristics, yeah. but also their will to to actually accept and the mentality they they have when facing this uh, this issue so i mean the efforts to integrate refugees have been basically remarkable in some countries but really very de very deplorable in in some others yes you just mentioned one of the most important things uh in everything when it comes to policy making and actually implementing the policies which is mentality i think in my personal opinion um mm -hmm. we see that history is actually always repeating itself and mm -hmm. it shows little improvement from the last century because during the cold war some european states that were in economic recovery, like Germany and the Scandinavian states, Austria, mm -hmm. um, they needed a lot of people because they were recovering and their industries were recovering. So there was a, long, a strong demand for labor and they could okay. not satisfy that domestically. So they were looking for labor resources outside to employ in its economy to compensate mm -hmm. for this domestic shortage. So taking... Germany, as an example, it first looked for uh, labor labor in southern European countries um, like Italy and Greece and Portugal. And then mm -hmm. it looked for people in Turkey and in North Africa. But with the end of the Cold War, because there was uh, so much uncertainty um, and there is also a very new world basically because the eastern europe was opened up there was mm -hmm. an immense number of people escaping from former yugoslavia and other countries in eastern europe um yeah and that was already a sign of how unprepared europe was to deal oh, yeah. with this massive flows of people because 
special in terms of institutional and legal frameworks. The countries that have previously been in search for labor in 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 outside of their outside, countries, yeah. like mm-hmm. Germany, uh, didn't know how to deal with the new inflow of people that started coming to their countries after the Cold War ended. Exactly. But uh, I guess that's transposed to the EU reality and the EU policy in general, like the, the difficulty in getting a binding legal common framework for uh, everyone. And mm-hmm. um, it's nice that we mentioned Germany so much because it's one of the most relevant countries in receiving uh, refugees and has done um, a remarkable work on that. Um, but I guess we should wrap this uh, topic and mm. going back to the announcement that the EU Commission's proposal of the new pack- package on migration and asylum, I guess it is, in my opinion, yet soon to evaluate the, all the results from such reform. But um, mm, yeah. it does not seem, in my opinion, to improve the bindingness nor the solidarity among EU countries in a terrific way. I mean, um, the new proposal in which countries will be able to choose whether to receive asylum seekers or to sponsor the return of asylum seekers who they consider that do not have the right to stay there in their countries or merely to help them build reception centers. I mean, in my opinion, that does not seem to revolutionize that much the economics of asylum. It does create some accountability, however, for the member states who refuse to receive refugees because it makes them be the ones to deal with the burden, so to say, of resending asylum seekers back to their countries of origin. But it doesn't provide like a huge, in this person's uh, way of life, a huge amelioration, you know. Yeah, uh, I, the package was all only announced in September, so it's very, very recent. Although I also agree with you that it does not seem that it will um, be a terrific improvement. It will not completely change for the better what is what it's needed to be changed. I think it's yeah. some response. Um, yeah. It seems less than what the crisis needs, but it's and, uh, some response. Yeah, and um, for the countries that are making more efforts in receiving more refugees, I guess the lack of further measures at the binding measures so that member states agree at an European uh, level, uh, I mean, this exacerbates the feeling of abandonment from the countries that are being more responsive with this crisis, you know. Yeah, of course. And um, we are only giving our opinions and we don't have the solution for this extremely complex topic, even though we sure sure hope we would. But what we wanted was basically to show how it is important to keep thinking and reading about this topic. And if you want to join us in getting instructed, we suggest reading a book called Refugee, Transforming a Broken Refugee System, which was written by Alexander Betts and Paul Collier. As always, we will leave the reading links on the show notes. Um, and yes, thank you for being with us. Yeah, sure. Thank you for joining us once again. And um, to... Uh, 
listen to our thoughts. So see you on the next I Thought About It. Mm-hmm.